Welcome to Career Chat, where we discuss career stories to help find a path for you. I'm your host, Andrea LeBaron, and it's my goal to help you find meaningful work. Shane and Kristen Bowler are the owners of Utah Natural Meat, a small farm in West Jordan, Utah, committed to raising animals the natural way. They combine organic practices, including using a grass-only diet free of added grains, antibiotics, or hormones, with modern technology like hydroponics to help their animals thrive and produce healthy meat and dairy products. The bowlers graciously invited me to tour their farm, observe their animals, and browse their store to see the variety of products they offer. This on-site interview is full of the challenges and rewards of a career in natural farming. Join me. Welcome, Kristen and Shane. It is so nice to be with you here today at your farm. I really appreciated you taking me around and showing me all the different aspects of the farm. And this is your busiest day of the year, so really I appreciate you taking a few minutes and spending some time with me. Um, can you introduce yourself to us? Tell us a little bit about your family and um, your farm and what you would consider your job title. <laughs> job title, that job makes title. me laugh. That, that um, is on the second of the day. Yeah, what, what's second of the day? Uh, so my name is Kristen Bowler. My name's Shane Bowler. <laughs> we uh, have a farm in West Jordan. Uh, we have four kids, and yes, they, they do help on the farm. Um, and reluctantly, sometimes. Reluctantly, they're kids. And, um, uh, everyone with kids understands that. Right. <laughs> we, our focus on our farm is raising grass-based meats. So we do grass-fed and finished beef and lamb, and then uh, pastured poultry and... Uh, pigs and we also have a raw milk dairy two of them two we have raw cow milk and raw goat milk those are also completely grass-fed and what else we have eggs we have we have a store here that's just kind of like sort of like a mini farmer's market I guess where we have our products but also products from other local farms and artisans and you know like bakeries and things like that I love that. And I, I mentioned to Kristen, I was so interested in finding out more about how this whole um, kind of natural processing of meat happens. Um, with Thanksgiving coming up, I was thinking of turkey. And you mentioned to me that you've totally sold out of your turkeys just last week and that there really aren't a lot of other farmers in the area that prepare turkey that way. So you're hoping that other people might jump into the business. Yeah, because it sounds like this year we were the only ones raising turkeys this way in Utah. I I don't even know of any other small farms raising turkeys, period. Um, Yeah, we definitely could use some more small, small local farms to jump into poultry. Well, it sounds like there's a real demand for people wanting turkeys that are raised naturally, right? Yeah, definitely. There is. It's, I mean, it's more complicated than that. Um, getting the right types of feed and having space and turkeys are very well known for finding ways to die so you know it's profit margins on turkeys aren't attractive enough to really get attention from a lot of farmers Mm -hmm. and so I think that's that's probably the bigger issue Sometimes we look at it and say, well, people want to buy turkeys. Why doesn't somebody raise turkeys? Well, it's not quite that easy. Well, and the, the processing laws yeah, are somewhat yeah. prohibitive because you can't take your birds to someone else and have them butcher them. You have to do it yourself. And there's a lot of people that don't want to do that. And 
I think that keeps some from raising their own. Right. Yeah, food in a more of a what I would call a traditional sense, being kind of homegrown, uh, home butchered, that kind of a thing, a hands-on process, is really a lot more difficult than food in a commercial system. And, and those are some of the reasons I think that it's hard to get. But are you finding that there are people that really care about that and want that? Yes. There definitely are. It's hard to quantify that, though. I mean, you could say, again, we sold out of turkeys in two weeks. What does that mean? Could we sold double, triple? Like, you, you really can't quantify it. So it's, it's hard to say how many people really want it, but it is growing. And how many turkeys did you have to sell? We had about 500 turkeys. So for us is a lot. I mean, for a commercial grower is nothing. Right. So I um, I was able to take a little bit of a tour of your um, store and saw all of your milk, which is raw milk. And I know I've seen that term before, but could you tell us and educate us a little bit more about raw milk? And I saw also that you have to sign a waiver the first time you buy raw milk. So tell me more about that. Okay, so raw milk is milk that is not pasteurized. Um, our milk is, is not homogenized either. So that means that if you let it sit there, the cream will separate and come to the top. Uh, milk that you buy in Utah at the grocery store is all pasteurized, all homogenized. So the pasteurization process heats the milk to a certain temperature. I can't remember, remember yeah, what it is. Yeah, I don't remember either. Um, they have different ways of pasteurizing. You know, you can either heat it to a lower temperature for a longer time, or there's just a lot of different so it, heating it to that temperature, the goal is to kill any harmful bacteria that may be in the milk. The downside to that is that you're killing all of the good bacteria and probiotics and whatnot that are in the milk. And it alters you know, things like vitamin D, calcium, all of that good stuff that's in the milk. And so we feel like raw milk is a better product. Uh, it, the way that we do it is we milk the cows. It's immediately chilled and into our bulk tank. Um, and then we bottle it from there. So we don't do anything to it. And I mean, yes, there's risks associated with raw milk. Not all raw, raw milk is created equal. Not all raw milk dairies are the same. We have very strict cleanliness standards and methods of what we do. We also triple test our milk. So we have our own testing in our dairy. We send samples to a third-party lab and they do testing for us there. And then the state um, also comes and does their own testing. Uh, we have inspectors that come and inspect the dairy. They check the milk. And then, um, yes, you are required to sign a waiver in Utah. Raw milk laws vary depending on the state. You can go north to Idaho and you can buy raw butter, raw cream, raw kefir, raw sour cream. You can buy all kinds of raw dairy products, but if you're in Utah, you can only get raw milk and raw cream and raw butter. Interestingly enough, in other countries, it's all raw. So like France has it in an open dispenser in the public square. Wow. So, and I think the real issue between raw and pasteurized, because this is a bigger discussion than today sure. wants to give to it, but, um, you know, when we went towards pasteurization in the 1920s, we didn't really have a good control over what germs were and how to deal with them. Bacteria, washing hands, that kind of thing. And today we do. And so it's a lot easier to keep raw milk clean 
the same as you would any other fruit. Raw vegetables, you know, leafy greens, that kind of thing. So, so by having information and by being able to be clean, we can be raw. And it's much more healthy than pasteurizations. Do you, and you're inspected, yes. Um, yes. to you have maintain to be, that status? Yeah, we're a grade A dairy, yep. um, but the raw milk testing is much more strict, too, as far as what our standards have yeah, to be. The, Kind of the number allowances on different things, which are um, coliforms, bacteria, standard plate counts, um, somatic cell, that kind of a thing, are much more strict on raw milk than it is for pasteurized milk, which is interesting. So the raw milk that you're selling that I saw in your store has, it almost looks like um, eggnog. It's very, hmm. like, it looks like it's thick. Mm-hmm. Is that right? And it has a different color. It's not... It definitely has a different color. That comes from the grass. Oh. So, so um, I mean, if you go through the life cycle of a plant, essentially it creates chlorophyll through the sun and other sources in its life cycle. And when an animal eats that, then it changes its byproduct, in this case, milk. And so milk from a grass-fed cow will always be more yellow because of the chlorophyll in the grass than if you were to feed it something else. Well, let's talk a little bit about um, the fact that you do feed grass to all of your animals and your dairy cows, and you grow the grass in like little greenhouse pods, it looked like that you showed me, and um, just kind of give me a sense of why you do that. What are the benefits of that? Well, the benefits for us, because we live in Salt Lake City area, are that we have an enormous lack of water and an enormous lack of farm ground, just space in general. So we're able to grow grass in a greenhouse hydroponically that makes better use of space because we can grow it vertically in trays. Um, That grass is actually more in a sprout stage would be an accurate way of saying it. And because it's in a sprout stage, it has a lot more nutrition in the sprout than established grasses do. Um, it takes a lot less water because we can control that water use. It also is not subject to like ground absorption, wind loss, all those kinds of things like a sprinkler system would be right. for grass. Um, another benefit for the cows is that it's a lot easier for them to digest in that form than a grass that has a big, wide, fibrous blade to it. So there, there are actually a lot of benefits. Um, it saves a ton of water, but it works really well for us here because of the situation where we're at and it probably overall would be our philosophy of feeding animals i mean we want them to be more in their natural habitat including their feed they're a domestic animal i get that but we want them to eat what they were designed to eat and cows are a ruminant animal so they were designed to eat grass and you feed it to the pigs too uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. So the pigs are a little different in the sense that they're not a ruminant animal. They're a single stomach animal. And so they, they do eat the grass as well, but we can feed them a mix of grains also. And you feel like that really adds to the flavor of the meat or, or how does that contribute to the flavor? Uh, yeah, it contributes to the flavor. I think that more so it contributes to the health of the animal mm-hmm. that they grow well. Um, I, like people will ask, you know, do you use antibiotics in your program? And the answer is no, because we don't need to. Our animals don't get sick. Yes, there is an occasion where one might, and you know, we'll use an antibiotic to help save that animal's life. Um, but we'll take them from the program, and we don't use them. But it's very rare that that happens. 
And you also mentioned you felt like animals shouldn't be raised in buildings. Tell me more about that. <laughs> well, that's that's commercially how the majority of animals are raised. When you're talking poultry, uh, pigs, um, I don't, it makes me sad. I love, I think the pigs are my favorite on the farm. They're just curious, they're fun, they're excited. They, you watch them and they love to use their noses and root through the dirt and find all kinds of things. And 99% of the pigs in our country are raised on metal floors inside of a building. And they don't get to be a pig. We, we like to quote Joel Salatin where he talks about, you know, you, you wanna see the pigness of the pig and celebrate that. And that giving them that room outside and fresh air and sunshine and the opportunity to do that really honors the animal um, and, and then, you know, therefore their, their life and, and that we eat that animal. So I think that's a great point. So give us an idea of what a typical day is like for you. And I know this is your busy season. <laughs> There's no typical day. <laughs> every day is different. I mean, in the sense that every animal has to be taken care of each day, that's typical. We have to milk the cows every day. We have to milk the goats every day. We have to feed and water everyone every day. Um, but outside of that, each day is actually quite unpredictable. Um, there are always issues that arise. It's just a matter of which ones. And so you take care of those as they come up unless you can foresee something. But it's very labor intensive. I, I feel like at least in America today, there is a certain what I call romanticism with farming where people think that that's their dream and that that's what they've always wanted and that, you know, they could do that, that's what they would do. Uh, and I kind of feel like I disagree. I don't think people have, I, ignorance is bliss, right? So if they had more information and experience, they might feel differently. Obviously, I like farming. That's what I chose to do. But I'm not sure that it's quite as glorious as everybody makes it out to be. So it's just hard work all the time. That's what it is. You probably never take a break, right? Or can you go on a vacation? Like, what would you do? Yeah, we don't really go on vacations. Um, we can get away for the day or something like that here and there. And we have employees that are very helpful now. And so a lot of that can be covered. But we, we don't really dare go for more than a couple of days. No, you, you just always worry because it's, it's our animals and you want to make sure they're taken care of. And yeah. And nobody cares about your business like you do. Absolutely. That's probably the hardest part. Would you say the majority of your orders are online? Or do people find out about you just locally and come into the store and uh, make an order? Both. We, we don't really have a lot of online orders. We do in that you can place a deposit to hold a meat share online but everything's picked up here at our farm. It's all local, so we don't ship local. anything. Yeah. So, so in that sense, all of it is just kind of word of mouth local. Some of it has to go through our website just for you know, right. accounting and ease of being able to keep track of everything, but they still pick it up here. We've, we looked into shipping a couple of years ago, and then when COVID happened, um, I would say one of the benefits of COVID is that people begin to look around them locally for food. They saw how fragile the supply chain was and they came flooding to our farm and our friends' farms and any farm they could find in, in Utah, which was great. And it has carried forward. We're not as busy 
thankfully, as we were during COVID, because that was kind of crazy. But there has been a renewed focus on buying food locally from people that you know, people you can trust, and that you know where you can get it from. So would you ever want to expand your farm, or do you like the number of animals that you have? And like, if there was a growing demand, would you want to meet that demand, or would you like to stay at the size that you are? Well, that's a good question. To me, it depends on um, the ability to work with people that want to do what we're doing. I mean, if we can find employees that are interested in what we're doing and want to be a part of this team, then I would expand. Or if we can find other farmers that want to do that, then I would expand. But otherwise, no, we've got more than we can handle at the moment. Um, is there anything that would surprise people about the work you do outside of the things you've already mentioned? Oh, probably. <laughs> it's every day to me. <laughs> New surprises every day. Well, I, when Shane talks about how farming is kind of romanticized, I think when people say it would be so fun, I'm like, sometimes I wonder if they think we sit around and we just bottle feed calves and we pet the pigs and we that. Ride but. Horses, yeah, yeah, but it really is, you know, yes, we feed the animals, you take care of the animals, but when you're selling direct to your customer, there is a whole business side to that too of we have to put orders together and stock the store and take care of, you know, emails and the website and the accounting and there's just so much more to it. Calls. Yes, lots of phone calls and just taking care of all the things that come with the business too. Yeah, so you're a, a you're a farmer, but you're also a business partnership. Yeah. And making that work is probably a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what would you say are some of the greatest rewards that you've, what, like what, where do you find satisfaction in this work? Oh, just this morning in our store, we had a lady with her son buying food and on her way out, she just stops and she just says, thank you so much for what you do. And we get that all the time. And it, I don't, it just makes it more rewarding that we get to talk to the people who eat the food that we work so hard to produce. And that because of the way we raise this food, that there are many people who have so much better health and are able to solve different sorts of health issues that they have because they can eat the food from our farm. That to me is one of the biggest reasons and it's, it's huge for the community. There are no small farms anymore. They're all leaving and leaving the cities and it's just becoming like just bigger corporate type farms instead. So is there, like, is it practical to say that somebody who doesn't have a lot of farming experience but really loves what you're doing could try to start a farming business themselves or would it be best to try to join in with what some, what someone else is already doing somebody for sure could i i would suggest going to a farm and volunteering there or seeing if you get a job there because that's going to give you a whole bunch of experience right from the get-go and give you an idea of what that's going to look like but definitely you could do it. And we need more small farms. Um, do you have any career advice that you would give to people just in general? Doesn't even have to be someone that wants to be on a farm, but maybe what you would tell your own kids. We talk about this often with our kids and 
Shane would probably have some stuff to add to this too, but um, that college is not the end all be all. That the way that our world and society is going is there are a lot of options to look at. And whether it's trade schools, um, starting your own business, you know, whether it be a farm or something else, that there are a lot of options out there. Yes, that college is wonderful. We've told them if you want to be a doctor, an engineer, something like that, then let's let's do that. But we're giving them time to figure that out. So, yeah. I really appreciated what you told me. I asked you earlier um, when we were just chatting and, and looking at the farm that if your kids help you with the farm work (laughs) and you said yes but they don't do everything right tell me a little more about that they i want them to have their own interests too i don't want to put the whole burden of the farm on our kids and we're able to hire other farm hands and we have a great team here of people who help us on the farm so that we don't have to put the brunt of it you know asking our teenagers to to come and take care of all of this that they have their own interests and that I think they still enjoy the farm because it's not like a burden on them I don't know if they're going to be interested in farming when they're older that remains to be seen we hope so we hope that someone will want to continue to do this but that that really is up to them I love that I think that's really a great way to look at how to involve kids because like I was saying I I can see how if you forced them to do a lot of hard labor they may end up being really resentful and not wanting a part of the farm it's um one thing that's awesome about what we do and because we raise food is that we have so many conversations with our kids about food and what they're eating and what's available at the grocery store versus what you can get at the farm and that they're learning more about what's in the food that they're eating and they're aware of the whole life cycle of an animal you, we we ask kids a lot of time where do your where does your food come from like if we're at a school and they always say oh it comes from the grocery store you know and our kids are helping us butcher chickens and they you know have helped milk cows they understand all of that and what the purpose of the animals are absolutely i think that's such a valuable lesson for kids to learn and really unique for your kids yeah. to have that experience Is there anything else you'd like to tell me about the farm or anything you want other people to know about the kind of farming that you do? Um, Maybe that um, if the food you eat matters to you, then it's a good idea to be aware that you're the one creating it in the sense that you vote every day with the dollars you spend on food. And so we perpetuate that type of farming. If you like what you're eating or you don't care at all, then it doesn't matter. If you do care, then you can't just sit around and complain about commercial farming or even people like us if that's what you don't like. You have to you have to buy food intentionally because whatever you support is what you perpetuate. And what do you say to people that say, "Well, I can't afford to pay for expensive grass-fed beef or expensive pork." Um like, I don't know, what do you say to that? Well, I could be a little bit jaded that way, so whoever's listening can try and not judge me on this one, but I feel like in our society, we afford a lot of things. And so you get to choose what you want to afford in the sense that can you afford a big screen TV? Can you afford cable TV? Can you afford an iPhone? Can you, you know, afford a new car? Whatever these things are, you just have to prioritize. And the other thing is that um, 
this this really can't be changed very easily but we prepay for a lot of our food commercially through tax dollars mm -hmm. in the form of subsidies to farmers and so if you really look at it honestly the food you're buying that's quote unquote affordable at the grocery store is only affordable in appearance because you've already prepaid for most of it by paying taxes so we don't get subsidies and if you took subsidies away from everybody then it starts to level the playing field quite a bit. Mm, that's a really good point. This has been such a great and informative interview. Thank you so much for joining me today, and I wish you the best with your farm. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining me today on Career Chat. Any links we talked about will be in the episode notes. You can find me on Instagram at Career Chat Pod. And if you like this episode, please leave me a review on Apple Podcast. See you next time.